The Water Values Podcast, Session 61. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. Great to be back talking water with you again. As you may know, we're now on a twice a month release schedule. So for those of you who might have been wondering where the podcast was last week, well, just be patient and look for the podcasts on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. One more note, please complete the listener survey online at thewatervalues.com. I've already started seeking out some of the guests and topics you've suggested as a result of that survey. So hopefully the summer will address uh, some of those topics and, and guests that you wanted to hear about. Now on to the show. Today, Steve Cavanaugh, president and CEO of Cavanaugh & Associates, joins us. He's an expert on a subject that if you've listened before or have read some of my blog posts, you know that I love, non-revenue water. It's a relatively long interview, and Steve does a fantastic job. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Steve, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to do this. Uh, to start off, Steve, can you please tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. Thank you, Dave. Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on the Water Values Podcast. I've had an opportunity to listen to several of the episodes and I think you're doing a great service for the, the water utility industry for sure. Um, a little bit about my background, I'm the president and CEO of Kavanaugh and Associates. Um, I have the, the honor of chairing uh, the outreach uh, effort for the American Water Works Association, uh, the Water Loss Control Committee. And um, I formed my company, Kavanaugh and Associates in 1995. And our business really is, is around cultivating stewardship of our earth resources through innovation, uh, specifically in the areas of water efficiency and, and bioenergy. And we primarily do that through teaching and implementing non-revenue water programs for utilities in North America, but also internationally. Uh, from the background standpoint, I'm, I'm a civil engineer, uh, trained in hydraulics and hydrology, um, started in urban stormwater management, and just had a fascination with uh, hydraulic principles. Uh, and then um, really specifically in water loss control in 1998, I, I traveled to Romania and, and actually um, hooked up with a water utility in northeast Romania um, and performed uh, USAID projects in leakage control and leakage management. And that's what really got us moving in uh, domestically here, non-revenue water management for water utilities. Okay, so we've you've mentioned this non-revenue water. Um, could you describe exactly, for those who, who may not understand what non-revenue water is, could you describe what non-revenue water consists of? Sure, sure. It's actually a, um, what I would say is a, a fairly new concept to industry, although it's been around. And, and it amazes me every time I do a presentation and, and really show the water balance, which is the actual backbone of the water audit process and really uh, segregating out and helping to determine what non-revenue water is. But non-revenue water, uh, simply defined, is the, the aggregate of the unbilled authorized con consumption. So this is water that is needed by the utility for fire department usage, 
uh, operational flushing, um, and, and what it takes to run the system. This would be, um, you know, every day, how, how much are we having to flush when we have a main break, putting that uh, main back in service, you know, flush the lines. Uh, that's, that's water that is, it's authorized, it's not billed um, to the customer, but it's needed for the utility. So that's, that's one component. We get into the, the loss component, and it really is broken down into two pieces. There is the apparent loss, and that loss is non-physical. This is water that actually reaches a customer, but it is, it is not properly measured or billed. So these are economic losses to the utility. And um, you know, things like slow meters, this would be uh, theft, billing issues, and the cost impact of the apparent loss is at the retail rate. This is at the rate in which you could sell the water for. And so um, obviously there are tools and, and practices to address that. Uh, the third element of non-revenue water is the, the physical loss, the leakage. And in many cases, this is what the, the general public uh, believes that when someone says they have losses or non-revenue water, they sort of mix and mingle these terms together. Um, this, is, this is water that never reaches a customer. It's physically uh, lost from the system. Um, and the, the cost impact is, is a bit different, though, than, than the apparent losses. This cost is actually at the wholesale rate or the, the variable production cost, the additional power, chemical, uh, in some case residuals management that it takes to um, produce that next unit of water. And the tools for managing leakage or real losses, um, you know, they are, they are very different than it would be for apparent losses. And so it, it's critical that, one, you understand what non-revenue water is, that it is multifaceted, and that you also know the value of that non-revenue water, so the volume of it, the value of it, and then you're applying the right tools to attack, um, you know, what element that you're, that you're discovering uh, from doing the actual audit. Okay, well, so that, that's great. You, you've broken it down into three basic categories of non-revenue water. And let's st let's start with that unbilled authorized consumption. Um, just from my experience, I, I did a deal one time where I helped a utility acquire, uh, so, you know, about 8,500 customers. And after the deal was done and, and we were kind of, you know, looking at all the assets and things like that, we were, we found a large number of connected customers that were not being billed. And so I'm, I'm curious, how, how would a situation like that fit into this water balance? Would that be unbilled authorized consumption or because it wasn't pure theft, but how would, sure. how would that situation sure. fit into it? it, it it's, a, it's a great question. And, and in many cases, this is what sort of trips folks up. We always look at it at the lens. Um, and, and, you know, it's easy to say, okay, is it billed or not billed? That's the first um, category, if you will. And then is it authorized or is it not authorized? I mean, authorized consumption could be off of estimated billings. And so in this particular utility, if they were uh, sending them a bill and it was not metered, so, you know, it's, um, it, it's an estimate of usage or something like that, um, then, they're, then they're getting a bill. It's, they're, they're being billed for it. I think what you, what you really described was the discovery of customers that were getting water uh, for free that may have been metered. Um, and actually, that would be um, in, in the area of, of billing errors. 
um, and that, that, that falls in apparent losses. This would be data management, this would be the practices around billing, um, the billing practices specifically. So how meters are read, how those bills are actually uh, delivered out to customers. So we would actually classify that as an apparent loss uh, as you're doing the water balance. Okay, got it. So, well, let's attack these three categories. First, uh, uh, in terms of how, how you determine the unbilled authorized consumption, what, what are the tools you use to optimize the amount of unbilled authorized consumption a system has? Probably the, the number one tool to optimize the unbilled authorized consumption is to start tracking it is awareness, is to, to get what we call a water team together, someone from the distribution uh, system that is responsible for flushing um, and, and start building dialogue and communication to educate them on, okay, yes, we know we have to flush for water quality issues, uh, dirty water as an example, but instead of just you know letting the hydrant flow until we're seeing you know, water clear up or some period of time, Let's start tracking that, and let's start, uh, you know, we know the flow rate from the hydrant, and we can, we can get that flow rate from that hydrant. We know the time, so there's some rudimentary measures that they can do, obviously, the, the flow rate times the time to get us the volume on a flush event. But making distribution uh, folks aware of it and then tracking that and reporting that on a monthly basis, I always say what gets you know, tracked and measured starts to, to you know, reduce because all of a sudden you're saying, well, what was the flush event that increased this in the last month? Fire department usage is one as we teach this that many utilities are saying, well, we'll never get the fire department to tell us how much they're using. Uh, and the reality of it is you just got to change the conversation a bit and build a relationship with the fire chief. And in many cases we've had you know, 20 and 30 volunteer fire departments that have access to the water, but building those relationships to say, well, Chief, you record uh, the number of, of fires, actual events you have every month. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you record the type. So if it's a vehicle fire or something like that, well, yes, we do. Well, starting to make some estimates, but getting the, the discussion moving on an ongoing basis of where every month you're just getting those types of records and building the relationship and that raises awareness. So the number one thing is to raise awareness. There are tools to reduce it. Unidirectional flushing is one, which is very um, effective of reducing the amount of water that it takes to flush the system. Uh, it's a, a hydraulic uh, means of raising the velocity for scouring lines. Um, but I, I would say the number one thing is, is really the awareness, getting the team together and start to get some efficient practices out there. Yeah. For utilities who have never um, you know, done any kind of recording or estimating or, or volumes. AWWA, um, the Water Loss Control Committee, has free water audit software. Um, and and I'll, I'll share where to go get that in, in just a moment or two. But um, that actually has some defaults, uh, some defaults that will help a utility get started to estimate based on uh, the actual volume of water that is delivered to the distribution system, some, some starting points. Sure. Now, um, so the awareness is really important, and I think I think you mentioned something that I I think is very important in the water industry itself is just building those relationships with you know the the fire departments uh, because you know water touches so many things that you have to you know build relationships with with the fire departments with your customers with all sorts of folks, and I think that's a really important really important point, Steve. Um, what are the what what are the tools for 
uh, identifying and reducing apparent losses? Uh, apparent losses, again, this is the, um, in many cases, the, the highest value to the utility uh, because it is valued at what you could sell the water for. So um, you, you will typically see things like starting to test our large customer meters, the largest cash registers out there, making sure that we are testing those and repairing those meters, uh, meter right-sizing. So there may have been a change in use of a particular uh, facility, business as an example, that may have been a high-water user that now and, and had a four-inch uh, turbine meter and now it needs to be a, a, a one-inch meter. So doing some, some profiling of the, of the customer use, meter right sizing, looking at uh, detector checks and, and, uh, and, and, and fire um, suppression systems and making sure that there's some verification that there's no use off of those fire lines. That's a big one. Hmm. Obviously, testing the customer meters, the, the, what we call you know, the residential, the three-quarter, five-eighths-inch meters, of really understanding for your utility what your what your uh, replacement schedule should be of, of systematically testing uh, a, a good statistical sample of your meters every year and knowing uh, what that customer metering inaccuracy uh, percentage is that we can really understand at what rate do we need to be doing replacement of our customer meters but it's not always just go out and replace all our meters. That may not be the right strategy. So it's really economically determining what is what is the potential that we can um, really put towards uh, parent loss removal uh, and, and doing that on an ongoing basis. Yeah, so that's really interesting in terms of uh, you indicated don't, re- don't just do a wholesale replacement of the meters. What, you know, how do you figure out what are the meters that ought to be replaced? Well, the, the, the key is to do testing of customer meters. And this is just, it's just not done uh, that often uh, in North American systems. Uh, bluntly said, the many utilities, they say, well, you know, it's just, it's just easier and cheaper for me just to replace the meter if I get a customer complaint. But, but really understanding your, 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 your meter population and developing what your replacement curve should be uh, and, and looking at things like particular subdivisions that were put in in the 70s, as an example, that you're doing sampling of the testing uh, of those meters that are characteristic for certain sizes and installation and, and also meter manufacturers. So in many cases, there's a blend of that that help you get to what should our uh, meter replacement program look like over time and really have it informed on the economics. Sure. What, what about the size of the meters? Are there, are there differences in, in, are you, do you see more uh, inaccuracies in larger meters versus smaller meters or do you have any experience with that? Well, it, it, we always want to make sure that they're moving to the larger meters uh, first and, and, you know, as the paramount area. And the, the primary reason is of, of it's the cash register. This is where, in many cases, many utilities, the large customer meters, large accounts, uh, those, those are generating cash to the utility. We, we also think that the, the cost of meter testing to test that that large meter, uh, profiling it, making sure that it's the right size, uh, it, it's it's also revenue driven. 
you know, there, there's guidance of testing the meter uh, every year on, on large meters, you know, typically in the one, two, and up in size. Um, but we also think that it could be for some high volume accounts, equal high revenue accounts, that it could be um, you know, even, even more frequent than that. So uh, everything we, we talk about is an economics-driven return on investment. How much should we be investing uh, into apparent loss control practices? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've seen large meter replacement programs go in, and the, the payback is sometimes within a year even, uh, right. just based on, on that economics. And I think, you're, I think you're exactly right to look at, through, look at it through an economic lens. Uh, how about real losses? What, uh, what are the tools available to, to stop all those leaks or to identify those leaks? Right. Uh, real losses, just like apparent losses, uh, should be uh, addressed on an economic target. Trying to get to what is our economic level of intervention, and uh, we don't want to spend $2 million on a leak detection program for the value of that water uh, being $50,000. So $2 million a year versus you know, $50,000 a year. And we don't want to get rude into technology uh, that's uh, very expensive to operate or very expensive to, to implement. So we really want to establish what is our economic level of loss for the utility and what should our economic level of intervention be. In, in addressing that, we, we always are looking at uh, what are our breaks uh, per 100 mile of main, as an example, of, of, for main burst. How about our service breaks? We, we, the leakage is really broken into to three uh, components. There's the reported leakage. That's the those are the ones that surface that get on the news that you're going to be at and respond to very quickly. And your tools to manage that are are certainly optimizing your repair time uh, and and you know pressure reduction, pressure stabilization. But that's your easy one to find. Uh, they typically are small in volume because you get them quick. The the tougher ones. It, is the second component, which is the unreported leakage. These are the leaks that are going on that never surface. Uh, they get into a sanitary sewer, into storm drain, uh, go down gradient. Um, this is you know, something that the way to address these are to canvas through your system. And again, you're just trying to reduce the runtime. So that has an impact of how frequently we should be in searching for those leaks. And detection equipment such as uh, data loggers, ground mics, correlators, uh, there's, a, there's a, a good bevy of, of tools that are out there, uh, very effective tools uh, to, to, to address those. But there's a cost. What is the cost for searching for those leaks? Continuous monitoring has a cost. Um, a, a leak survey, periodic survey has a cost. Again, the economics. The last area of leakage is your background leakage. These are the weeps and seeps at the joints. Uh, this is dependent upon the pressure that your system is actually operating under. Uh, so the, the way to manage the background levels of leakage are through pressure stabilization reduction. Um, and then, of course, the most expensive would be main and service uh, replacements. Sure. So when it comes down to using the leak detection equipment you know you, you mentioned mics and uh, data logging equipment uh, I mean, what what when you how, how does a utility know if those are going to be you know turn out to be economical or not because you, you don't you don't realize the value right when you're 
installing the equipment. I mean, is there a, is there a strategy for for making sure that you're going to get your ROI on the money you're investing to find the leaks? Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, the majority of the utilities uh, in North America uh, are, are trying to apply the, the wrong tool uh, to the problem. They look at their loss and they've not gone through and broken it down of what component of non-revenue water is this. So the very first step is to audit their system and to, to really understand the volume of loss, the category that it's in, and what that associated value is. So the audit is critical of, of really balancing the water that's coming into the distribution system and then uh, going through and taking our build consumption, how much we're billing to customers, how much we're using for system use, and then based on customer meter testing, that helps us determine uh, the split between the actual apparent loss and real loss. So most important thing, audit the system, develop the, the understanding of what is our volume of loss, the value of that loss, and then for the real loss, which is what you specifically asked about, the correlation technology and data loggers and so forth, is that value of loss, what is, it's again a variable uh, production cost. It's the, it's the volume of water uh, multiplied by what it costs us to produce that next increment of water. So obviously we've got more loss, we've got more value of that loss. Well, how much should we be intervening? What is the cost? How many miles should we be surveying uh, and at what frequency in the system uh, to really go and find those unreported uh, main breaks that are never surfacing? So that's where the economic level of intervention should come. And then based on what you're finding, that then Every utility has a rate of rise of leakage. Uh, there are ways to, um, to sweep through and get those unreported breaks, but then start to optimize that long-term based on your economic target. That's, that's, that's really how you should, should address this. AWWA uh, and the Water Research Foundation also have a component analysis tool um, that is available to start to, to do this segregation. Um, of, of the various types of real loss that I just described, the background, the unreported, and the reported, and, and to look at what the, what the costs are of those repairs and, and also searching, searching for the leaks. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that, unfortunately, a lot of utilities in North America are not, are not optimizing their non-revenue water program. Uh, what's behind that inertia? You think that that kind of that kind of uh, I'm good mentality that, that a lot of utilities have. <laughs> well, and and I chuckle because I, I do hear that. I mean, every day when I talk to utilities, it's you know, Steve, our our you know unaccounted for, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, uh, water loss percentage. You know, we're we're down three percent, five percent. It's just not going to get any better than that. And the, the, the crazy reality of it is that, that AWWA uh, in 2003 abandoned percent of system input volume uh, and percent unaccounted for as a, as a viable metric at all. And, and you know, we teach this and our state section shows describing and sharing these tools that are out there available for utilities. And unfortunately, that's, that is what we are still working through is that pervasive feeling a, a, a false feeling of security. 
that we're about as good as we're gonna get. And the reality of it is um, it has a percent basis, has no, um, doesn't take into consideration how much water we're supplying and what the, the consumption is. An example we, we always give, if you look at the loss, and as it relates to how much we supply to the system and how much uh, we consume, if you've got loss levels that are staying the same, but all of a sudden in 2008, in the, in the Great Recession, we had industry that left town, and we are now supplying less and billing less, but our loss levels are the same. On a percent basis, um, that it appears as if the leakage has gone up. And and, and this is the challenge, is that it, it is just it's not a performance indicator so utilities feel as if they they have their hands around it and they have never taken the time to audit their system to to do the basic top-down water balance in uh, 36 audit and then to start doing bottom-up uh, verification a great example the state of georgia has a has a law that requires water auditing on an annual basis and they went further and provided technical assistance to address the number one thing that came out of the audits, which was source meter verification. And 49% of those source meters that were tested in this um, pilot um, program that was out there, they failed. Meaning that of these systems that had gone through, and, and uh, I think it was 51 or so systems in this technical assistance, half of those source meters were incorrect grossly off in the 20% range. So oh, wow. if your starting number of how much you're putting in is off, and Georgia is characteristic of, of water utilities across the nation. So that's why I would say that the number one thing that's holding it back, holding utility leadership back is they'll check, hey, yeah, we have our meter tested, and the reality of it is that they've really not hydraulically verified it. Uh, and they've never performed an audit to really segregate out the, the, the non-revenue water and then assign the value to it. So that, that's that. I think what's holding us back in, in the biggest sense, and that's why we're trying to get the word out. Sure. Well, can you do you have a success story? What's a utility that may have initially said, "Oh, you know, we're down around the three percent area. We're we're fine," and then they adopted a non-revenue water program and and saw some results. I mean, do you have you know what what kind of stories are out there that that can demonstrate the success of implementing this kind of program? There are actually some some great uh, success stories. Um, three come to mind immediately, Asheville, North Carolina, uh, Macon, Georgia, and Augusta, Georgia. And, and the great thing is, in my answer, you won't hear me say one word about percentage, uh, but we'll talk in terms of value. Uh, and, and it's been, you know, the city of Asheville is an example. Uh, it's over a million gallons a day. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> uh, the city of Philadelphia, and these are these are great uh, documented. So, city of Philadelphia, I think theirs is over uh, 50 million gallons a day. Uh, you know, it, it when when utilities start to get their hands around this and they're able to start tracking it on a trailing 12 months approach, uh, it is significant. And, and and yes, we do have crumbling infrastructure. Yes, we need we need funding for reinvestment into our utilities. But we have a long ways that we can go in auditing our, our water utilities, developing a non-revenue water program, and then attacking each of these pieces, supply, uh, billing, uh, pressure management of better managing the asset that's out there. 
Um, and there are some great success stories that are, that are happening right now. I mean, what, what you've described is just exactly kind of what I've always advocated whenever I've talked about non-revenue water. And that's it. It's, it's essentially finding a new source of supply. If you're finding a million gallons or 50 million gallons a day of water, uh, that's incredible, uh, that, that the non-revenue water is, is, uh, that significant. Now what, in these success stories, where did they find, like, where did Philadelphia, where did Asheville, and, uh, you know, I think you mentioned uh, Augusta and Macon, Georgia, you know, were, were they uniform in, in where the non-revenue water, uh, you know, the, where they found most of their non-revenue water? I mean, was, was it all in apparent losses or, you know, what, what were the categories of non-revenue water that, that these cities uh, were able to, uh, uh, to reduce? Sure, sure. Uh, and I, th- I think it would be good to, to maybe share, uh, this is coming from the Water Loss Control Committee, AWWA's Water Loss Control Committee. Since, I think, 2011, we've been doing a, a national water audit data initiative. So we're gathering from utilities the data from, from the water audits. Those are validated. So there's a, there's a verification, a callback to go through and uh, an actual compiler tool that we use to compile so that it allows utilities to, to be able to, to see how other utilities are doing to get an understanding of the volumes and the values and the validity of the information of these audits. It's a very, very useful and helpful tool. So what we find and have found consistently is the, the split between real loss and apparent loss is roughly in that 80% of, of losses are in the real loss category, that leakage, and 20% is in the apparent loss side. But the challenge is the value, the value of the apparent loss. Again, remember, you can you, you can sell that water. That's water that you, you're just not getting paid for. It's getting to a customer, but you're not getting paid for it. So the value is many times significantly higher. So the, the areas that they have captured volumes uh, and the value, they do vary. I wanted to give that, that sort of breakdown of what we found from um, the, the Water Audit Data Initiative. But it's been in wrong meter multipliers. When systems, on the apparent loss side as an example, when systems start to, to flowchart their billing practices and they start to really match up and say, okay, that serial number is associated with this particular meter and we've got the right multiplier based on that meter size in there, we're finding huge errors and, and really just asking the question and looking at you know, the data. Meter right sizing that we've already talked about, of it's a, it's a mismatched meter to the use, and so it's really not capturing uh, flows accurately on the low side. So back to that, that large meter testing and, and small customer meter testing. On the leakage side and real loss uh, control, we're seeing utilities start to do district metered areas. So they're taking the, the bigger pie and they're starting to, to break it down and look at the flow into a, a smaller area. What should our minimum light flow be? What are we seeing that's going into that area? Uh, doing some component analysis and saying, okay, there's some excess here. So they can dispatch and go out and, and actually do leak detection in a, in a discrete zone. And they're finding them. They're finding majors. Um, there's some, some great data from the work done in Georgia 
that shows just on the pilot, the pilot beak detection work that was out there, what it meant in terms of the, the value to the utilities. Uh, so I would say that the, the biggest key is that they get started, they, they truly are auditing their systems and they're knowing the economics of it. This sounds really data intensive. Um, has there been, have you had any familiarity or, or seen kind of the value of what automated metering infrastructure uh, or AMI has, has, have you been in systems where uh, they've had AMI and that has the, the data that the AMI system has gathered has been useful in determining uh, where leaks are occurring in the system or, or identifying other areas of non-revenue water? Yes, AMI definitely is a, is, a, is a great tool. We always are driven to the return on the investment. What is the right tool that we're, we're attacking the problem with and, and, and what does that return look like for us? Uh, the, and, and some of those are, are not quantifiable directly in dollars, but in customer service uh, that, that uh, are very positive. So AMI gives us uh, an ability to get information quicker we, we are always really weary of someone thinking they're buying the silver bullet. And then I will I'll use leak detection equipment and then and finish up on AMI. I'll ask, you know, show me the closet or show me the garage. And they say, what are you talking about? Well, the equipment that you bought that you're no longer using that you thought was going to solve the problem. And, and many <laughs> times it's sitting there. It's sitting there and, and AMI you have to be ready and, and, and you know, be able to grow with the system of being able to take, take advantage of, those, of, those, uh, of that data that's available. A specific example where AMI is just fantastic is in uh, what we call the district metered area, areas of where you are able to, to really track uh, consumption and look at uh, customer consumption and be able to establish that minimum nighttime flow. And that is uh, compared to what the, the, the background levels of leakage are for the physics of that system. Again, the weeps and seeps to then know for each independent area, this is our target uh, within this of the unreported breaks, those that actually have not surfaced. So that data, AMI, gives us data that's quicker. Um, we also uh, strongly encourage, whether it's AMI or it's drive-by, that utilities uh, do visit that meter uh, installation and they observe and just uh, are able to do some group check, uh, some, some gross checking of that data and installations, at least on an annual basis. But AMI is, is a great technology when it's applied in the right situation where the utility has the wherewithal to, to properly run it. Great. Uh, so if, if I'm a utility that does not have a non-revenue water program, what's the first thing I should be looking at when uh, when implementing that non-revenue water program? How would I go about sure. set, setting it up? Well, the first thing is, is utility leadership uh, that is willing to say, okay, I understand you're saying that we don't have a leakage problem, again, air quotes, or, or a metering problem. But to dig in and to say, we're going we're gonna to really review it. And so it would be to then assemble a team, a water loss control team, an action team that is made up of someone from the leadership, someone from billing, someone from from uh, distribution, someone that supply, 
So these departments that IT is an example of the information, these departments get together and learn the basics, learn the basics of the, the water audits and loss control program, the M36 manual from AWWA, the standard business practice that's out there. Learn about the water balance, learn how everybody's part plays into this, uh, and then perform a, a, a top-down water audit. AWWA has free water audit software that a utility can download, get started using the data they have. We'll hear over and over, well, Steve, if we just can get our billing system in, then we'll, then we'll be ready to audit. Or, you know what, we're, we're changing out our meters and we need to get that done, then we'll audit. Or, you know, my, my, main, my high service pump is out and we get that in, then we can start. So there's always something. So you, you can take the data you have and the audit tool has the ability to validate, put a, to put a data grade on each input in that free uh, water audit software. So if you've never tested your source meter, then it doesn't, it doesn't stop you from starting. You just would be assigning a lower grade that's very prescriptive so a utility can read, well, I've never tested it, so it may get a data grade of a two instead of the highest, which would be a 10. It's on a scale of one to 10. So what they're getting by doing the, the water audit is they're getting a, an understanding of the nature of the loss, how good their information is, so uh, how, how, where they are. They all inherited these systems, and so what is the validity of, of my audit data, and then what are the volumes and the values of that. So starting with that, the audit then will guide you to what we call bottom-up activities starting to do some of these things like meter testing and, and, and actually uh, some programmatic type work on flushing and starting to track some of these things. So that's, that's how you get started. But the number one thing is leadership that was willing to break the inertia of just continuing on to do what we're doing. Great. Well, that's, I think, a, a very, you know, a, a lot of wisdom in your words there. Uh, Steve, we've been talking for a long time. I, we could talk you know, for an, an entire day, I think, and even more about non-revenue water. Uh, but you've been absolutely great talking to us about it. Uh, where could people go for those folks who want to find out more about you and Kavanaugh and Associates? Where can they go to find that information? Well, a couple quick nuggets on the water loss control tools. They can go to oh, awwa.org, uh, go into the resources and tools section, and under water knowledge, they'll see a full page for water loss control. There they can find the free water audit software, uh, version 5.0, the water audit data compiler that has the validated water audits from 2011 to 14, the water research foundation component analysis tool, a link to where they can, can purchase the water uh, audit loss control manual M36. So uh, that's, that is a, uh, a great resource. And certainly for Kavanaugh, they can visit uh, KavanaughSolutions.com, email me directly, steve.kavanaugh at KavanaughSolutions.com, or just Google Kavanaugh Water Loss or Kavanaugh Water Loss Control, uh, and you can get, get to us that way. Awesome. Well, Steve, you've been absolutely fantastic. Again, thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Terrific. Well, I hope you liked that interview with Steve Kavanaugh. He's a terrific guy that I've gotten to know a little bit better uh, since I served with him on the AWWA Strategic Management Practices Committee. Uh, it was a long interview, so I'll dispense with the takeaways, save for one. And that is, did you hear Steve mention that one of the most important things you need for a non-revenue water program is communication? 
Well, his specific example was building relationships with, you know, for example, fire chiefs so that fire protection flows could be estimated. But communication is such a key theme in the water industry. I think that just continues to be a huge takeaway that all utilities need to pay attention to and need to continuously work on. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 61. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And please do me a favor. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast directory that you listen to the show on. That's a great way for people to find out about the podcast. And also, you can sign up for the Water Values newsletter. And again, take that listener survey I mentioned at the top of the show. You can do that at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.